Here is 521, and in a part of Ireland known as Ulster, a baby boy is born. The parents who are Christian named the boy Calum, which is Latin for dove. And as he grows up, he's known as Columba. That's his name. Now, Columba's grandfather was actually baptized by Patrick, St. Patrick. So he has a great legacy. Patrick, who single-handedly evangelized all of Ireland. And as Columba grew, everyone recognized the deep intellect of this person and his deep love for God. The Christian parents not only nurtured him in his love for God, but the monks in the area as well took him under their wing and developed him and made him into a person deeply devoted to scripture. So much so that eventually Columba became ordained as a priest himself and with other monks started developing monasteries all across Ireland. But at the age of 40, everything in his life changed. In 561, one of the monks that Columba worked with came back from Rome. And what he brought with him was a copy of the Psalms and a copy of the Gospels. Now, without the, without the monk knowing it, Columba would secretly at night come in under candlelight and he would copy the Psalms and he copied the Gospels at a time when that was forbidden to do. The monk eventually found out that Columba had a copy of the Psalms and had a copy of the Gospels and demanded to have them back. And Columba said, no, they're mine. Now the rift became greater and greater over time that what eventually happened is the monk gathered an army and Columba gathered an army. And guess what? At the Battle of Kaldrevni, the two of them clashed and 3,000 men perished. 3,000 men perished. Columba was so devastated by the entire thing that he promised God, as he rededicated his life, that he would bring to Christ at least the number of people who had died in that battle. That's what he promised to do. So he set off with 12 men like Jesus and the disciples that got in a boat and they ended up landing at the island of Iona off the coast of Scotland. And here it is here. It's a little island three miles long and a mile deep. And from there, they built monasteries and from there evangelized him and his band of monks evangelized almost single-handedly the entire nation of Scotland and Northern England. Not only that, but he is credited, he is credited in a very kind of ironic way. He is credited with bringing peace to all the warring factions of Scotland and Northern England at the time. This man, Columba, 
who, even though had a, a, a time in his life where he refused the word of God and surrender it up and cause the death of so many people, and yet rededicated his life and ended up transforming thousands of lives because of that one tragic incident. Very much what Patrick did for Ireland, Columba did for Scotland and Northern England. Now, why do I tell you that story? That story is one of literally tens of thousands of stories that relates the church and the Bible. And the kind of history that the two together have had over the centuries. The Bible is one of the most, um, you know, I've, 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 always, I've always said this. I've always said this. If you want to start a fight really fast, how do you do it? Tell people you have the truth. Okay? You want to start a fight in this culture really fast? You want to start an argument in this culture really fast? Tell people that you have the truth. And tell them you're holding a Bible. And you're going to start a battle. Columba was so dedicated to the word of God. He saw it as so precious that he was willing to fight for it. The history of the Bible and the church is fraught with all kinds of problems. And fraught with all kinds. In fact, did you know that in so many churches today, in so many different denominations today, there are people who are standing up in front of, of people who don't even believe the Bible any longer. The percentage is growing. I think it's at 8% now. And the percentage is growing every year. The Bible and the church has had a, a difficult relationship. And, and, and here's, here's the thing. Um, usually from this platform, we're talking to you from the Bible. This morning, I want to talk to you about the Bible and why it's so important and why we have to take it seriously and why it's, it's a book that even though it has caused so much heartache and headache and, and it's been misconstrued and misguided and it's such a difficult book sometimes to understand, I'm going to try to kind of simplify it for you in, in, in some ways to help you understand it, but to stress the importance of what it means for each and every one of us to read it and stress to each and every one of us why we need to commit to it in one way or, an, or another. Be it, you know, be it even on your smartphone to be listening to it on the way to work every morning. There's got to be something you need to be doing. But the Word of God is vitally, vitally important. Um, it's, and by the way, it's, it's not a human book. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, it's a divine book. It is a divine book written by the very hand of God. It's not a book made to control societies and nations. I have so many friends who are non-believers in, in my life that tell me all the time, the Bible is all about controlling people, controlling nations, cont you know, cont control. That's all it is. Um, you, you know, uh, it's one of those things. It's not a book of enslavement. It's actually a book about freedom. It's not a book about death. It's actually a book about life. That's what, it, that's what it's about. It's been so misconstrued, so misunderstood. And sometimes we can make it so complicated that we can forget that at the root of it is God's heart speaking to your heart. 
And we're going to talk about what it means for something to be God-breathed. You know, there are so, you know, it grieves me so much. There are so many churches that will, that do not believe the Bible nowadays. And they're afraid, you know, some churches are even afraid to use it. But the Bible is such an, such an important book. It's a, it's a book given as a revelation. And it gives us an inspiration for a bigger life with a big God instead of a small life with no God. Now, you know, here's, here's where I really struggle. Do I give you a history of the Bible? Do I give you, a, you know, all the different translations? Do I, do I give you all about that? But, you know, I've decided not to do that. Okay, but I will make a few comments about it. Um, the Bible has been written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors, different genres. It, it's such a magnificent library and collection of books from people from almost from, from different nationalities, different cultures, different societies, different statuses in, in life. It's just unbelievable. It's not a, it's not a one, it's a one person from God, but it's multiple people communicating the same thing about God over centuries. And it's such a powerful book. No other book, no other book is written in the way that the Bible is and has the power and the force that the Bible does. No other book. No other book. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, you know. If you want to think about the history of the Bible, I'm going to give you three major swings of history in the Bible. Okay? And if you just remember these three words, you'll be able to know the history of the Bible. The first one is guarded. The second one is Gutenberg. The third is Google. Okay? That's the easiest way... To understand the history of the Bible. The history of the Bible started really guarded. Only the church, only the, only the monks, only the scribes were allowed to have a copy of the Bible. And, and the church used to, at one point, have a copy of the Bible for itself, you know, in, 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 in the old uh, churches. And they would chain the thing to the pulpit. Only the priest was allowed to touch it. Only the priest was allowed to read from it. And they'd go in the, in the perceived holy of holy in the church, and he'd, he'd unchain the Bible and put it on the pulpit. <laughs> Butterflies coming out of it, you know, kind of thing. Right? But that's how guarded the Word of God was. It was absolutely guarded by the Word. That's why with Columbus, it was such a big deal. You do not take a personal copy for yourself. This is the word of God. It is entrusted to the church. But in the four, in 1450s, around that, that time, Gutenberg. Who's Gutenberg? Printing press. Okay? Guess what happened around the time of Gutenberg? The Bible became, you know, the, a printed book that anybody and everyone could have. You know, William Tyndale was one of the first ones to translate, you know, the, the Bible. Right? You, you've heard the word Tyndale, right? It's publisher nowadays. You know, do you know King of England burned him at the stake because he did something that was not allowed? Do you know how many people have died because of the Bible? 
because it wasn't allowed to be printed. It wasn't allowed to be used. All of that stuff. So Gutenberg brought the printed word to the masses. In fact, it was Tyndale, I think it was Tyndale who said, I want a boy, farmer, on the plow to know the word of God just as well as a priest or a monk. That was his goal, that everyone should be able to have the word of God. Okay? And we've moved from Gutenberg, the printed word, into the Google world. Okay? Right? Now, now on my iPad, I can't remember. I, I told you how many versions I had. I think I added a few this week. Okay? I have, you know, I have, I have, I have students who are born in the digital age that didn't know that their phone would read the Bible to them. I had to teach them that. I had to teach them that. An old guy like me. I taught them how to do devotionals on their iPhone. Where Surrey, you just dictated to Surrey, and, and it, would, it would read the Bible to you, and then you could do devotions and put it in notes for yourself. You didn't know that either, right? <laughs> See what you're learning? Because we're in the Google age. It's all there. It's all available. And you don't even have to read it anymore. It'll read it for you. I thought I'd get an amen with that one. That was, yeah, no lazy amens, okay? All right, no lazy amens. You know, and and last week we talked about the creeds and confessions of the church. And I want to, oh, by the way, how many of you have seen those crosses? Right? Isn't it, aren't those, and icon, that's Columba. He brought that. You know, that that's, became a hallmark, a, a, an identifier of the, of the great risk and reward that they brought to Scotland and Northern England because of that one event that changed his life. But here, here's the passage I want to look at that, that was from last week as well. And I want to remind us about this passage where the Apostle Paul says to the church of Corinth, I pass on to you what was most important, what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. And listen to this, just as the scripture said, he's looking at the Old Testament. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. And again, just as the scriptures said, there is no, there is no discontinuity between the writers of the New Testament and their belief in scripture. They are committed to scripture and, and they felt that they were doing the continuity of the Old Testament and bringing that revelation of what the Old Testament was teaching for the people of the New Testament and what Christ was now revealed as the mystery of the Old Testament. He's now fully re- revealed in the New Testament. I've said this before, that what was once a mystery is now history because Jesus has been fully revealed to us today. Okay, here are five major. Here's another way to understand the Bible. Here are five major acts of the Bible. Number one is creation, right? Act number one is creation. What is the most attacked thing about the Bible today? Creation, right? One of the things that that gets uh, attacked right right away about the Bible is the belief that there's a, a a divine being that, that put it all together. Do you know, uh, now I, I know there's scientists in this room. You can correct me if I'm right, if I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> I've been corrected for being right too. Um, but there is starting to be a swing nowadays in science to a belief 
in, 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 in uh, the possibility of a creator. Amen. There is. You know, before, before the sci- science would say it's all random, it's all just thrown together, it just happened to fall in place like this. But there are scientists now that are starting to say, wait a minute, there's a designer behind this. We're not going to we're not we're, we're not going to make a you know a decision who that designer is or that but everything is pointing towards a designer. Okay? What the Bible teaches is who the designer is, not necessarily how the designer did it. Are we good with that? Okay. Are we good with that? All right. Don't Okay. Number 2. Okay, the fall. Here's, here's where we get in real trouble in, in the culture that we're in. We're all good people. We all just make mistakes. And whenever we make mistakes, all we got to do is fix ourselves. Okay? How is fixing yourself working for you? The largest segment of books that gets produced in a year is self-help books. Did you know that? Okay? Right? The Bible says, you know what? The Bible says there's another, there's another way you have to understand this. Okay? There's just something inherently wrong with us. But God, but God, see, you guys are uncomfortable with hearing that, aren't you? I hope not. I hope not. You see, that's the bad news left by itself. That is the bad news left by itself. The Bible doesn't leave the bad news by itself. You need to understand this. God could have left us very easily right there. But what he did was make a way. What he did was make faith the agent by which our belief in Christ makes us right with God. And we can become whole again. Do you realize that the Apostle Paul was the first one to talk about zombies? All this Hollywood stuff about zombies, they stole from the Apostle Paul. Okay? Yes. Yes. The Apostle Paul would say, you are dead in your sins. Right? You're still walking around. But the Apostle Paul taught, it's not till you come to a belief in Christ do you fully become human. That's what he, that's what he taught. He said, you are dead in your sin. You're walking around dead. He talked about that. Okay? The reality is the gospel is good news of, a, of becoming redeemed, becoming whole, becoming a new creation, becoming the, you know, the person God made us to be holy and fully in a relationship with him. Because unless we have a relationship with God, there's something missing. We can't always, we can't always you know, you know, we try to fill it with all this other kind of stuff. And we said that, you know, but that's the reality. And that's what the Bible teaches. And in fact, and I've said this many, many times, the Bible rarely deals with the why. You know, we all want to be about the why question. The Bible deals mostly with the what now. Okay? Because the why is back in, you know, Genesis 3. We're all fallen. We're all, you know, you know, you can't always answer the why question when it comes to evil, when it comes to bad, when it comes to, you know, you can't. In fact, the Bible says, you know what? This, this has happened. The fall, life is hard. Things happen. Evil, evil exists. That's just the way it is. But guess what? I've got something that can 
can allow you to live in the midst of all that with happiness and joy, contentment, fulfillment, and bring you to a place of eternal peace and security. I think that's a much better message than I just want to be happy. We'll talk about, we'll talk about the happiness thing in, in a minute. Number three, act, act three. The chosen nation of Israel. It's amazing to me how God took this nation, brought them out of slavery, and used the entire nation as a picture, as, 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 a, as a lesson of what it is to be in full relationship with him. What the demands were, what righteousness would look like, what holiness would look like. And just, and just the, the conflict between the humanity of Israel and the holiness of God. And all those lessons that it, that it taught us, they, they, were, they were meant to be object lessons for us. Are we good? Okay. Number four. The life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came, came as a suffering servant, as the one to make it all right, the fulfillment of the law, all of those things. And as a church... Right? It's amazing that we have the scriptures to show us all of this in, in all its glory. You know, anything that you read in the Bible, you can plop into one of these categories, and it helps you to understand the Bible better. Number five. What do you think number five is? The church. Okay? The church. The life and ministry of Jesus' followers. Right? Uh, Luke, one of, the, one, of the, one, of, one of the apostles that wrote the book of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts. And it's really interesting. At the end of the book of Acts, he summarizes the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. At the beginning of the book of Acts, he basically says, here is the continuation of the life and ministry of Jesus in his body. So in the body of Jesus as, as a person on earth, in the book of Luke, and in the body of Jesus, in the people of God, who are doing the work of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's an amazing thing. So, I want to give you some points of why to bother with the Bible and why we need to stay committed to it. Here's another, here's, okay. here's another thing. Some of you are going to wonder about versions. Okay? Can I make just one quick comment about versions? It is, in my estimation, in my estimation, okay, after teaching Hebrew and Greek for many years, after, after studying under, under scholars who actually were Bible translators. Okay? Um, so I don't come from an uninformed situation. Please, okay? Um, if you have a version that you love and it feeds your soul, that is great. Enjoy it. Read it. And if there's a preference that you like, wonderful. But I think you cross the line the minute you say, this is the only inspired version i think you cross the line and i and i think you're in trouble when you say that okay i can show you from any version any version the the flaws the problems what i will say in studying the versions is that not one of them takes away the essential teachings of the christian faith okay and have studied, have, have worked in this for, for years. It's absolutely okay to say, I love this version of the Bible. This is what I grew up. This, this is absolutely okay. The minute you say one is more um, 
you know, illuminated or, or inspired than all of these others, I think you've crossed the line. Okay? And you can, you can, you can, you can ask me questions about that, but, but that's just my, my personal opinion at, at this point in time. All right? Um, so here, here are the number of reasons why you should bother with the Bible. Oh, by the way, here, here are a number of, of uh, uh, surveys. 20% of all adults have read the Bible from start to finish. 18% of people who claim faith other than Christianity have read the Bible from start to finish. Isn't that, isn't that something? Okay? 61% of practicing Christians have read the Bible from start to finish. So, that's 61% of Christians. 9% of those with no faith have read the Bible from start to finish. And then you can see all the different age groups that have read it. We are in, listen, we are in deep trouble. Can I say that when it comes to the, to the Bible and our understanding of the Bible? By the way, this is why I'm so committed to life groups. Because life groups gets us into the word of God on a continual basis. All right? So that's, that's a huge, huge thing. So here, um, why bother with the Bible? Number one, for godliness. Okay? Out of 1 Timothy 4, 7. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. Listen, it is not about... when When you read that, when you see that, how many of you are thinking, you're telling me to be holier than thou? No. Okay? Godliness is a life that has a fear of God over a fear of humanity and people. It's a check and balance system where you say, should I do this? And many times, many times, many times, you know yourself that inside you're saying, if I do this, it'll be wrong. If I do this, it'll lead me into trouble. If I do this, right? See, there's only, there's, only, there's only three frames of life, okay? There's your, your situation, your circumstances. There's the decisions you make because of them. And then there's the outcome, right? Many people look at situations and circumstances and their whole lives are judged by that. The reality is every one of us have, been, have situations and circumstances that are not necessarily pleasant, right? And it's the decisions that we make that make all the difference, right? And a lot of times our outcomes are based on the bad decisions we've made. Not necessarily the circumstances or the situations, but we want to blame those. And a lot of times godliness hits us at the point of our decision-making that brings the outcome in a way that honors God and protects you. Does that make sense? But many times we say, oh, I'm a victim. I'm, I'm this. I'm, you know, what, you know, whatever. And the decisions get you into more trouble than they should have. That's, that's, that's one way that godliness operates in your life. All right, number two. 
Number two, renewing of our minds. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you drive. (laughs) Same thing? (laughs) By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What I like about this is you're not going to understand God's perfect will for you unless you change your thinking and your mind's been renewed. That's, that's the kicker, isn't it? Right? You know, all of us, all of us grew up with the cultural influence and the people that in our lives that were closest to us. Those are the two big influences in our lives. Suddenly the Bible comes along and says, "Uh, maybe they got it wrong. Maybe you shouldn't do that. And it becomes a real tension point, right? And a lot of us have to change and have a renewal of the mind that comes through the Spirit of God. And it doesn't make sense. I remember when I became a believer, I said, no way does that make sense. No way. You want me to what? You want me to forgive who? You want me to love who? You want me to have compassion? Like, what? Yes, I was absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. The Bible was right. I had to allow God to renew my mind. Because it's not always going to make sense to you in the moment. What if, what if some of the things that are such a cultural pressure today, what if God is essentially protecting us? That's all he's trying to do. What if, what if? But we say that's not good enough. We want the reasons. Okay, number three. Conviction and judging our lives. Uh, I love this out of Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. How many of us have read the Bible and said, oh... That was written for me. You ever got, you ever been there? You ever been, yeah, you ever been there? Happens all the time. How did they know two centuries later that I would be in this predicament? And absolutely. The book, the writer of Hebrews was very much aware that the book, the Bible had that kind of power in people's lives. That kind of power in people's lives. Okay. Um, Number four. Spiritual life and sustenance from Matthew. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. This is when Jesus is being tempted by the devil. The devil is trying to get Jesus away from his mission. To even deny that the father is caring for him. And it's amazing that Jesus himself, by the way, who could have in a second taken the stone, changed it to bread, and he would have said, you know, I've been starving for a long time. It's perfectly okay for me to do that. 
And we would have all said, yeah, Jesus, it's okay for you to do that. You have the power. You have the authority. You've been hungry for how long? You could have easily, you know, no one would, no one, no one would have been, oh, why did he do that? Everyone would have said, yeah, it's okay. To change that stone into bread and to eat it, he would have been perfectly justified to do it. In fact, we would have given every excuse as possible. But Jesus himself says, no way. If I do that, I'm saying that I'm not relying on the Father. And I am living by Scripture. Right? Okay? And I, I love, again, the, the writer of... Uh, of Peter. Peter says this, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Look at the language of that. Look at the language of that passage. Crave it. Cry out for it. May it be, you know, the, the thing that, that, that moves you and motivates you. That it's the deepest desire of your heart. For spiritual life and sustenance. How many of us run there? Here's, here's the next one. Spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6.12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We think we're only fighting against our neighbor. But there's a lot of other stuff going on that we're fighting against. But this is a spiritual battle as much as anything else. You, you know... There's so much right now in our culture that says, you know, you got to fix yourself physically. Okay, get that. You got to. And now the big trend is, you know, fix yourself emotionally. There's all this stuff about emotionally. What is missing in the culture, what is missing in the world around us is we need to fix ourselves spiritually. Because that's at the heart of everything else. You know, Apostle Paul says, if you know, physical stuff is okay. But if you're not healthy spiritually, all of it goes south. Spiritual health is the first and foremost and primary importance of the Bible. Spiritual health. Okay. Um, oh, number six. Uh, I love this. Correction, teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God. Some translations say God breathed. This is one objection I have to the NLT because I think they missed something here. I think they should have kept the terminology of God breathes because that's the actual word in Greek, okay? And it's useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. Isn't it amazing that God wants to fix what's wrong with you? All right, you're all perfect, okay. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Isn't that amazing? Now, you know why I like God breathed? You know, you know what I, why, why God breathed is so important in this passage. Remember in Genesis where God took the dust and the, the, the dirt and he molded it and shaped it. Okay. This is the same terminology as used in Genesis. If you look at the Septuagint, they're using the same word. And when God took that dirt and when he, he animated it. It became human. It became life. 
It was able to think. It was able to have emotions. It was able to be alive. It was no, ma- no longer just static. It moved. It communed with God. It was powerful. What Paul is saying in this passage is the same breath of life, the same thing that animated simple dust and dirt is the same breath that animates the word of God in your life. Isn't that something? That all scripture is God-breathed. Prepare. Okay, number seven. Um, Blessing and success. And please don't get on me about success. It's probably a bad word because we're thinking about success in the wrong way. Okay, but but this is this is the passage. Uh, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church out of Revelation. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says for the time is near. People who take the Bible seriously, it says that God will God will bless it. And then out of out of uh, Joshua, study this book of instruction, the Old Testament law at that time. Continually meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. The wisdom books in the Old Testament, by the way, the wisdom books in the Old Testament are meant to give you life skills so you succeed at life when everyone else is falling apart. There is a certain element where, where God's word teaches us how to manage life really well. That's the success we're talking about. Okay, that's the success we're, we're talking about. Here's, here's two more really quick and, 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 and we'll go. Uh, number eight, it defines every human characteristic. Now listen, this is really important, okay? Ask, stand on a street corner and ask everybody, what is love? Right? We don't know how to define it, but we sure know when we see it, right? They must be in love, okay? Um, the Bible gives us definitions that are very important for life. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. You know, we know this. We don't like it because we know we fail when it comes to love. Many times, don't we? Don't we? The man, okay, here's, here's another example. What's the mantra of today? I just want you to be happy. That's a 10-part sermon series, by the way. If you, if you are looking to become happy in your life, you are going to be the biggest mess on the planet. And we're going to have to clean it up. Okay? Happiness is a dangerous place to go. Sorry. What the Bible teaches is joy. Right? Which is totally different than happiness. Okay? In fact, I'll even go... In fact, in the Old Testament, the word for blessed can also be translated as happy and joyful. Do you know that? Um, That a joyful person is blessed as well. Okay, this is, it's really important because the Bible tries us to joy and not happiness. 
Okay? Because joy, joy will stay with you whatever the situation and circumstance. Happiness won't. Happiness comes in and out of your life all the time. If that's the measure of what your life is all about, you're going to be greatly disappointed continually. Okay. Um, number nine. Uh, and it points to Jesus. Simple as that. The entire Bible points to Jesus. This is why it is so, 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 so important to study the scriptures. Now, okay, let me, I've gone way over time. Okay, um, here's, here's the big struggle. Here's the big struggle. Here's the big struggle. How can I get you to want to incorporate more of the Bible in your life? Okay, there's, you know, there's lots of facts and figures, lots, lots of historical stuff. But in the end, I want you to be more engaged with the Word of God. How do we do it? How do we do it? Yeah, but, but isn't, isn't that a hard discipline? How many of you, young families, you're going, I don't have a moment to myself. How dare you? Okay, I don't have a, seriously, how do you, how do, you do that? Um, I, I, was, I, was, I was really struck by this. I read a story recently of a woman, Amanda Lamond. And 23 years ago, she lost her mom to cancer. Okay? Now, she was just a, a little girl at the time and remembers all the relationship and remembers, you know, the last days with her mom, how precious they were and all of that. Lost her mom. And for 23 years, for 23 years, she ended up, uh, like, well, in, in growing up, before she was able to be on her own, she ended up in foster homes all across the country, um, missing her mom greatly. As you can imagine... What really struck me about the story is this. 23 years later, someone showed up on her doorstep with a box of letters that her mom had written for her. 23 years later. Now, I don't know all the circumstances as to why it took that long to get the letters, all of that kind of stuff. And she was interviewed. um, Forget the station or whatever that interviewed her. And she was in tears and couldn't believe that she's hearing the voice of her mom 23 years later. Her mom's given her advice about boys. Her mom's given her advice about life. Her mom's given her advice about all this stuff. And she can hear the voice of her mom in those letters. And it gave life to her after all those years and of missing her mom so much. And I was really taken by this story because here's, here's the deal for you. Here's the deal for you. Until the Bible becomes that for you, until it becomes the voice of God for you, you're not going to bother to pick it up. Until it becomes the personal voice of what God has for you that communicates life for you, you're not going to pick it up. Because, you know, you can, you, you can just listen to a sermon. You can just go on. You know, you can do all kinds of other stuff. But until the Bible becomes like what those letters became 
for Amanda. The word of God is just going to be just something you have to do as a Christian. And you know what? That's the saddest affair. That's the saddest state you could possibly be in. Because the Bible, no matter what we want to say about it historically and translate and all of that kind of stuff, it is God breathe for people to be able to hear and to see the voice of God in their lives and to understand the need for it. And until it becomes that for you, it just becomes an exercise, right? My prayer, my, my prayer is that we do not get stuck in the history of the battle for the Bible. That for us, it becomes the central and most important aspect of why we are a church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we've... Uh, looked at the importance of the Bible in our lives and in the importance of the Bible in the church. Isn't it amazing that even after all these years, it speaks life into each and every one of us. How quickly we can forget, kind of put it aside, treat it, treat it as irrelevant, or even be indifferent to it. And Lord, I know that there are people here this morning who are thinking of maybe some of the extreme elements that are being pulled out of the Bible right now. Can I just speak to them right now? That there is a bigger view in place. That there is a bigger story that is being missed that there is a bigger love to, to embrace and a greater salvation to be wrought than to just struggle with the cultural things that are happening all around us. These are not any different than the church has endured for many centuries before. And yet the challenge is, how much of it do we believe? How do we interpret it? All of that. Lord, my prayer today, my prayer today, is that there will be somebody here who will commit themselves to learning more and deepening their faith in Jesus by taking the word of God seriously. Lord, I know we're not due for life groups again till September, but I pray that even, even today that there will be people here who will commit to being part of a life group because they want to learn and grow and deepen their roots in order that they can have a hope and a stability in the midst of everything that is going on in our world today. So, Lord, thank you for your word, for its power, for its life-changing message of faith in Jesus Christ. And we want to pray that if there's anyone here this morning who wants to commit their life to Jesus or needs prayer, that they would go to the prayer room. They would find themselves head bowed, pleading to God and looking to him for a newness of life. So Lord, thank you for this morning. We pray your blessing upon your word today in Jesus name.
Amen.